This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the Thursday, January 25th edition of Talk Back. Talk Back this morning brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. They're also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, Gomer's has just what you need. Make sure your rig starts every single morning. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service, right there at Palmer and West Broadway. Why West Storage is located out of the Y on Two Smokes Way. Want to find out if they have storage for you? I know they do. Call 406-510-0590 because at Y West Storage, making room for you and at Phillips Janitorial where they offer residential and commercial cleaning with all of their state-of-the-art equipment bringing uh, of course no job is too big or too small for Phillips go give them a call 406-260-6617 the views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff management or advertisers well we are thrilled to have you along with us this morning we have a very special program on the way it is the uh, uh, the Montana World Affairs Council uh, time on uh, on the radio this morning. Bob Seidenschwartz is here in the studio with us. And very soon we're going to be joined by a, a very, very uh, prestigious group of people called Sharaka. And uh, I know that it's not a band. Uh, this, this is something that's very, very uh, in earnest, trying to find uh, peaceful solutions to what's going on in the Middle East right now. Bob, good morning and welcome, sir. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Um, yeah, Nick, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. We, we uh, are expecting a call. They are in Seattle. Okay. I just tried reaching our contacts at the Israeli consulate, Alex. I'm sure he's not quite yet up for his morning coffee. Um, so, folks, uh, be, be patient with us here. We have uh, done everything we need to to make sure that these folks are informed and given us a call. So we're just waiting for them. Meantime, yeah, may I read let's kind of set the stage for what this group is and their background. You bet. Uh, thank you for this, uh, for this uh, note here. Sharaka, which means partnership in Arabic, is a non-governmental organization aiming to provide first-hand and nuanced perspectives from the Middle East and North Africa. The organization seeks to inform, reduce polarization, and encourage dialogue around Israel's bilateral relationships with regional players, recent events, and the pursuit of long-standing peace in the region. In recent years, prior Sharaka delegations to the U.S., visited other states where they met with a range of elected officials, local community leaders, and the media. Now, the delegation includes prominent members such as Fatima Al-Harbi, vice chairman of Sharaka Bahrain, Youssef Elazari, Sharaka's Morocco director, Ahmed Al-Kuzai, a political consultant from Bahrain, and Naveen Elias, advocacy fellow with Philos Project, and deputy director of the Israel Christian Aramaic Association, Dan Pfefferman, director of communications and global affairs at Sharaka. So... Uh, all those folks, hopefully, uh, many of them will be joining us on the phone. Yeah, because if they don't call in, we're going to have a regional conflict right here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, and, now, and I'm trying to reach them. I think Nick can uh, confirm we've sent everything and done everything yes, that we possibly can yeah. to uh, get these folks on. So um, 
We'll be patient. Yes. I guess that is the key. Now, we might want to prime the pump a little bit yeah. here, uh, Bob, uh, uh, because I know you've been working with these folks, uh, uh, preparing all this, uh, herding all the cats, if you sure. will, trying to try to get everyone together. And so tell me, what, what is the purpose of Shiraka? Uh, you know, if, if you're following the issues and events over there, it's, it's very nuanced. I mean, we see from the news the conflict taking place between, uh, you know, Hamas and Gaza and the Israelis. And this is nothing new. Uh, uh, Mirdad Kia, as many of you know, um, and myself were contacted by Heidi Miley right. at the uh, TV station. And it turned out, actually, I was very happy to hear, instead of a minute and 30 after spending an hour with her, right. they actually did a four-minute segment. We were trying to set some historical perspective right. on this issue. And it truly is centuries old and has so many just moving pieces to it. But Israeli society, just like Palestinian society, is not monolithic. There are people and viewpoints and feelings and history that are intermixed over centuries. So when we're trying to have people understand this conflict, this organization is dedicated to dialogue and peace, understanding that what's the option? Ongoing war? unrelenting, uh, you know, hostilities hatred between the people's ha hatred, hatred that keeps conflict, perpetuating right. itself. Right. And one of the things that they work very hard to do is how to break those threads of hatred. How do you just take that line and go, all right, guys, somewhere in between A right. and B, something's got to change there, here. There, there's got to be some place where there can be a little bit of calm to try to do some right. talking. Yes. So, anyway, yes. we're, we're going to come right back. Hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll get these folks on the phone and have a very rich conversation for the next two hours because they plan to be on, be on with us until 10 o'clock this morning. So we're going to learn a lot, uh, but we have to get those phone things going first. So uh, we're going to come right back with more of Talk Back, a special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio uh, right after this. We've all got that one closet. Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. We're going to see a slight chance of rain, snow, and some freezing rain today with foggy areas early, otherwise mostly cloudy, with highs in the upper 30s. Clouds will persist through this evening, but then Friday brings some sun breaks and partly cloudy conditions, returning to mostly cloudy skies for the weekend. The most noticeable feature will be the warmer temperatures, with highs to 40 Friday rising into the mid-40s over the weekend and remaining mild into next week. Okay, welcome back to uh, Talk Back, everybody. It's the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. And Bob is uh, very, uh, with his nimble fingers, trying to get through on the phone to uh, to all the folks who uh, are going to be on our program this morning, uh, because this is important. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a perspective that is uh, in need of discussion. And to know that there are groups that are within the country, within the region, that are trying to work together uh, for this very reason... I think that has and demands more coverage in our media. Uh, usually it's conflict, conflict, conflict. Uh, so I, we have a caller and that can, let's see what Dave has to say here. All right, Dave, good morning. Uh, we, we are waiting for our guests to arrive. So what is your comment, sir? Sure, I'll be listening to what they have to say. And, um, but, you know, I'm a strong supporter of Israel's survival, but opponent of Netanyahu. In, in my view, his vision for the middle, for the Palestinian solution is to put the Palestinians on, like, say, reservations, and where they're, whereby all the power would be in Israelis' hands and, and zero power in the Palestinians' hands. 
and that that just long term won't work. Um, and we're going to repeat this over and over again until until there is some sharing of power between the Palestinians and the, the, the Israelis. I mean, there'll be troubles. So, so Dave, I, guess, Go I, have ahead. A, I have a question for you. Uh, you. You know, you and many of our callers uh, uh, give us great insight and have thoughts about this. Do you personally think that any of this can be achieved as long as Hamas is in place, has the reach, the resources to continue to exist within Gaza? Can you have a partner that is a workable partner, not just on behalf of Israel and Gaza, but principally on behalf of the Gazans? Right. Uh, you know, it's a it's a vision. You know, Hamas is a vision that uh, the Palestinians have, have, and a lot of people have bought into, until until there is hope for a different vision, uh, there will be n no chances for the Palestinians. And that hope of a different vision, uh, a shared power vision, rather than just just dying, there will Hamas will exist. Uh, you know, uh, uh, visions go away when other visions take their place. And there has to be hope for the Palestinians other than Hamas. And that's, uh, I think, what you're hitting is one of the fundamental questions. Who provides that vision? Um, as it stands right now, the Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank have leadership that, from my perspective, has not acted in the best interest of the Palestinian people. And we have to understand something. There's massive amounts of capital inflows that continue to promote and keep the situation at odds as, as we see it. Those within that power structure with the West Bank and with Gaza stand to lose not only that stream of income, but the power and influence that goes with it. So, so they want to keep the violence going. Well, you know, it's just it's strange, crazy, kind of like uh, strange bedfellows. And especially as long as, 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 as long as they're hundreds of miles away directing it. Well, you know, when you've got your leadership living in luxury in different parts of the Middle East yeah. and directing uh, the behavior, <clears throat> how do they feel that pain? Um, and, you know, Netanyahu is not without some culpability here. He has and has been acknowledged... He's played both sides against the middle for his own political purposes as well. So he's not doing the Israeli people. And that's something that we have to recognize that as long as this conflict is in place, he's probably still in power. The day this ends and elections come up, there's a very high probability that Netanyahu is not the next prime minister. So there are questions that demand to get answers as to why. What is he doing here that serves his purpose and his government's purpose uh, at the expense of his own citizens? I, I say it isn't easy, but uh, hope on a different level. If it, if they had hope of being a, a country of their own, with a hope, with a plan, that uh, they could someday get there, that Hamas would eventually lose its grip on them, and people would turn to that. But as long as there is no hope on the other side, Hamas will be there uh, to take the place. And, you, you know, you can kill all the leaders now, but the children of that are out there growing up and they've had their parents killed and they're looking for they're looking for a vision for the future and if Hamas is the only act in town there will there'll be another uprising and it's just inevitable. Now, Dave, I don't disagree with that. I mean that's where you have to break this chain. That's what we were hoping our guests were gonna be on here 
we say shortly, but oh, now it's starting yeah. to get a little bit along. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see here. But this is going to be the discussion that we're going to have when our guests call in. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Dave. All right, we're we're up against a break. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. We are uh, we are using every means at our disposal to try to get a hold of uh, our guests who are scheduled to be on with us today for from Sharaka, uh, which by the way does mean partnership in Arabic. So lots of different individuals are scheduled to be with us on the phone talking about this. And we're eagerly looking forward to that. So just have to make it happen. So bear with us and we appreciate your patience. We're going to keep on trying. So we'll be back after this timeout. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small, your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your social security number or other personal information and tell you that your social security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Okay, we're beginning to uh, make some progress here. Uh, Bob's been able to talk with one of the individuals. Diplomatic relations are in process, folks. <laughs> bulletin, bulletin. <laughs> and we're trying to get it going, but uh, we woke our friend up, Alex, in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Hasn't had his coffee, but he is on it. Um, so... Something will happen here yeah. shortly. In case, in case you've just joined us, I love saying that. Yeah. In case you've just joined us, do, 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 this just in. No, seriously, uh, Bob is here uh, with the Montana World Affairs Council because we are expecting to have a, a very rich conversation with a group called Sharaka, uh, which means partnership in Arabic. Uh, uh, several individuals are, are supposed to be joining us on the phone. And, and because they're on the Pacific, they may have thought it was 8 o'clock their time rather than 7 o'clock their time. So anyway. That's it's not an unusual problem. Yes. You would think with all of our technology and right. intelligence, yeah. we're Montana guys, <laughs> you're behind us, so you're in front of us. And I tell you, every time I have guests on that are anywhere but here, right. two to three times I will remind them. Yes. And they still don't get it. <laughs> and these are the people that are supposed to know what they're Why doing. Why can't we all oh, just, just be in get one on the time, same time? One yeah. time, one time zone for all. Yes. Yes. It's challenging. Anyway, so. But we've got the folks that. Uh, help to set this up. 
they're making the calls, and right. Um, right. we shall see. As you say, well, so here's what we'll do. Peter. Here's yeah. what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go ahead and have open phones. So if there's something on your mind you want to talk about, uh, when our guests call, we will go ahead and shift back because we are flexible here. Right. And uh, so if, if, if there's something on your mind, well, maybe we talked about yesterday. We had uh, some very interesting conversations yesterday. Uh, Sandy Vasica was here in the studio with us. I, and, I listened yeah. to uh, a bit of that when I was driving to work yesterday. Right. Today. And, you know, it, it, she was very forthright when she said, look, I'm still kind of new to this. Yeah. And we're talking about this 10-year plan or whatever that may have been. And, you know, there's uh, I, I listen carefully because it's not always what somebody says. Right. It's what they don't say. Um, and you don't want to step into something that you're going to have to r- either step back from later. Right. Right. You've got to work with various people, city right. council. Everything we do in life involves somebody other than ourselves. Yeah, the thing I like about Sandy is yeah. she's not afraid to speak her mind, but, no. she, but she is politic. You yeah. know, she, she, she knows uh, yeah, but where, where that line is. <laughs> it's okay to state your opinion, you know? And sometimes uh, I, I state my opinion, and it turns out to be... Uh, uh, incorrect. <laughs> well, I, I've always said the good thing is we don't have the uh, cam camera anymore. Yes. People can see us going, you know, I, I, just I'll bring this up and maybe this will spark some conversation and memories. I've been here 50 years. So we had some friends over and I've known these people literally almost from the time I came here in 72. And we were talking about the High Mountain Cafe. Right. Alice's Restaurant and, you know, Missoula. 50 years ago, right? what it looked like. And this kind of, you know, I came here and Missoula was the hippiest town. Bozeman was the conservative cow town. Right. And when I think about the arc of the changes that have taken place, all of us will have our memories from yeah. certain periods of our life. The hippies have grown up. Well, the hippies and, have grown and, up and, and taken now, political. And, 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 they, and now some of the biggest they, business owners and exactly. political leaders and, in the, and, the city. Yeah. And this is what was really hit, hitting me now. <laughs> Do we bring these kind of views and attitudes along as we move and mature into these different parts right. of our life? Hey, uh, maybe unavoidable or it's part of who we are, which is fascinating. But um, this uh, made me think about... What does the next 50 years look like? <laughs> and you and I won't be around. Amen, brother. Nick may be, yep. you know, still trying to tie his shoes when he's 50 <laughs> years from now. Or they'll, he'll have the strap-ons with his, uh, the Velcro. He won't have to worry about that. But everybody will have a perspective that's unique to their own time. Now, now, Nick, I want you to practice saying, kids these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The longer I'm on the show, the right. easier it gets. <laughs> right. so. so what I was really kind of coming to is to try to be gentle and not reminisce so much about what used to be because yeah. it's always changing. Well, I, I will tell you what used to be when I first moved here. The air was horrible. Well, you know, I remember that I got off yeah. the train and I'm like, what the heck am I coming to? Is there a forest fire uh, close yeah. by? Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah. and for a long, long time. So there's also been a lot of positive changes here oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of good things. All right, seven two one twelve nine. We're we're gonna do open phones until we get our guests here. If we don't get our guests here, we'll just do open phones till ten. I've got several topics I, yeah. I can introduce that uh, recently were a bit concerning and disturbing to me. So, All right. uh, uh, well, well, uh, well, we have about two minutes till we up up to we get the phone call. We're gonna see what's happening here. Maybe this will be our guests. If not, it's then not. It'll be open Nick phones. has given us so. the. It's okay. Not. All right. All right. So. Who's on the line? It's Skip. Skip. Skip, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. Welcome to a kind of a, a, an ad hoc, if you will, open phone segment, sir. What's up? 
Well, you said you were flexible, so there you go. <laughs> yep. so. Give us something, Skip. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I uh, wanted to reflect on something Peter just said, which was uh, the air was ho- horrible. Because I, I can certainly remember back in the early 80s when I used to travel from Victor to, to uh, let's see, what would have been up behind where Grizzly Gold and Silver is now mm-hmm. to a job I had there every single morning and all the way back down at night. And uh, there was one lane going each way on 93. And as soon as I got to Lolo, north of Lolo, Right there, uh, the smog, you could see this wall. The, and it was mostly uh, crap that was coming from, I think, the the, uh, the mill that was out on, I think it was Champion Lumber at the time. Ch- Champion Mill, they made plywood. Right. Out on Mullen. And you could, you could taste it. And, and then, uh, so I, I remember that as soon as you said it. Because every day would go in, and in the winter time, I remember when I went out to lunch to a couple different little restaurants, that it was like, oh, I wish I could brought something that just stayed in the office, and instead of uh, coming out and tasting this again, and then over time it all it, it cleared up dramatically, of course. But uh, but Bob, I I saw you on the television. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> with, uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. But, Yep. And you look like, just like I see you on the radio. So when I, when I, uh, saw that it was with an interview with, uh, probably Heidi Miley and Jill Valley. Correct. And your dad was there too. Could you reflect on some of the things you spoke wow. about, uh, on that? So that, uh, cause I know that, that was fairly comprehensive. So I'll leave it at that. Skip, Thank thanks you for the call. Much. And we will, I will have him yeah. do that when we get back from sure. the break. By the way, uh, I think one of the things that uh, Skip was talking about, I remember vividly because I was on the air at the time uh, when Stone Container, Smurfett Stone Mill, uh, shut down. And uh, the v- Im- immense ec- negative economic impact that had on the entire Missoula Valley. It was, right. it was devastating. Right. So, but there, there was a lot of warning. They knew it was going to happen. It just, when it did happen, it was such a shock. Anyway, right. so we'll, we'll, we'll continue on. We'll come right back, uh, 721-1290, and Bob will tell us about his meeting with those two great uh, news people. And we're going to come right back after this quick timeout. Spectrum One. Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. We're going to see a slight chance of rain, snow, and some freezing rain today with foggy areas early, otherwise mostly cloudy, with highs in the upper 30s. Clouds will persist through this evening, but then Friday brings some sun breaks and partly cloudy conditions, returning mostly cloudy skies for the weekend. The most noticeable feature will be the warmer temperatures, with highs to 40 Friday rising into the mid-40s over the weekend and remaining mild into next week. Oh, the WhatsApp. And we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Now, joining us here in the studio this morning, we have uh, Bob Seidenschwartz, the Montana World Affairs Council, and we are eagerly anticipating uh, guests going to be on with us here today from a group called Sharaka, uh, which means partnership in Arabic. A whole bunch of folks who are going to be joining us, and we're looking forward to that indeed. So I believe we have Jeff on the line. Uh, Jeff, good morning. You're on TalkBack, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Since we're walking down memory lane, uh, we moved to the Missoula Valley in 1963, and uh, we had come out from Minnesota through the West, 
investigating places, I guess. I didn't know that at the time. I was just 10 years old. And uh, we uh, stopped in Missoula, and it was a nice April day, and the flowers are starting to sprout through the snow, and it's nice and clean and clear. My folks decided this is where we wanted to live. So they did everything they needed to do, and we ended up moving out the beginning of August. Anybody who knows Montana knows that Montana in August is completely different from Montana in April. And it was dry and dusty and brown. My parents were kind of looking at each other and going, what have we gotten into? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they actually entertained for a moment uh, moving up to Alaska. But uh, luckily we stayed and the rest was history. So There you go. Um, But speaking speaking of changes... um, I don't know how many people remember the old sugar beet factory that was out by Frenchtown. Um, that whole area used to have sugar beets uh, grown and processed out there. And uh, I remember it was the early 60s when I think it was already, they were done by the time we moved, but when they brought the smokestack down from the sugar beet factory. So, Well, um, there, was there, there was also a huge community garden that existed over by where the, the, the shopping center is over on the eastern part of town. Uh, that, that was a, like a, just an enormous garden that uh, people basically co-opted. And uh, was one of the reasons why Missoula is called the Garden City. There were just so many gardens. Uh, it was the, the ground was so fertile in this valley. And, and uh, there you go. That's where the Garden City came from. Yeah, we lived at the very, very end of Reserve Street. It's a little two-block section that... Uh, was disconnected from the main reserve street. That whole area between us and uh, the two-lane road that was reserve at the time, that was all field. That was all where uh, where uh, the natives would go out and look for commas and bitterroot um, right there, where all the shopping centers are now, where Walmart and everything, That's uh, that was all em- empty and vacant. We could walk from our house to the Fort Missoula and not encounter anything. And so, do you and do you remember, Jeff? What, do you remember when when it was proposed to build what they called the 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 road to nowhere, right? That that was going to go the reserve street was going to go all the way out, and they actually put a bridge over the river for this road to go over. For what? There's nothing out there, right? <laughs> go ahead, Bob. <laughs> so so uh, for Peter and Jeff, which actually brings up, I think one of the great insights we have continually battled over. What we're asking us, what we're asking ourselves to have to do to get ready for that future. Look, for decades, we fought over 93. Right. If, if we make it four lanes, they're all going to come. Well, guess what? While we were fighting over making it four lanes, they, they were still coming. <laughs> so what, what do you think, Jeff, is going to be any different that has already taken place from the past 50 years going forward in terms of the process and the arguments and the discussions is it really going to be any different? And if we believe it's not, then why don't we do more to get ready for it? Well, I, it's, uh, I think there's a variety of, uh, of visions and, and experience. I don't know how, how to exactly say it, so I'm going to think my way through it as I'm talking, that, um, you know, Missoula used to be, you know, a fairly conservative town. I mean, it was never really conservative. You had... Bozeman was a cow college, as you said, and University of Montana was the dance school. Um, but uh, it what used to be until the mid-60s that um, the university here in Missoula was Montana State and Bozeman was Montana College. And it wasn't until the 60s 
and the implement of the university system, Montana University system, that uh, they actually came up with their current names. Um, but I think going back to Missoula, you know, I think there's a mindset, a culture that says we have to plan everything and we have to do this and we have to be mindful of, of different things. And some things are good and some things I think are, are, are wrongly decided, particularly uh, when we talk about climate change and things, I won't go into that. But I think it's a mindset that says development in Missoula has to be strictly and carefully controlled. And that means that nothing gets built. I mean, you had somebody on earlier this week, or at the, it was at the uh, Monday at the uh, city council meeting that I listened to, that uh, people in Billings and t- can get a bur- building permit in uh, in four to seven days. People in Missoula who want to build, it takes six weeks or longer to get a building permit for the same structure. They had builders coming in and go, you need to change the culture in Missoula for building permits. And that's just one example, but I think that's that's something fundamental that needs to change in order for Missoula to take advantage of the vast land it still has. You know, it is a small valley, or it is a valley, but there are still a lot of lands to develop. And I think it's that fear of, of developing. You know, you get people who come here and go, okay, well, close the door after me, close the gate, nobody else after me. That's not going to happen. Well, and, and well, I'll tell oh, you what, ahead, tell you, we're, we're, we're up against the break. break. Jeff, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. I just we're we making an, progress. We have an update. Well, we finally got them to understand. You can't call me through WhatsApp and have just a conversation with me. You've got to call the line and the number I gave you. Well, as 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 they, my grandmother used to say, "Oi, vey." What? 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 Don't you understand? Go ahead, Dick. I'm sorry. I just said we'll get it. It's okay. Yeah. 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 Eventually, this we'll will it. happen. Ladies hey, it's and almost gentlemen. comical at this yes. point. Uh, but but once once we get them on, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. All right. Seven two one twelve ninety, and there will be a test. No, just kidding. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. We're coming right back. The hunt is on. Need to replace your social security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Okay, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-530. Now, what's, what's the update, Bob? We have uh, we have an update. We're making progress. <laughs> um, it's this is a communication <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah. And generally, we try to get all this worked out before we yes, get to this yes, point. Yes, But Nick, this is the first time with these folks. We've we've got our calm and collected <laughs> Buddha here. Yeah. Nick has said it's all okay. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. <laughs> Take let's a deep Emmett, breath. Yeah. yeah let's let's get Emmett on the line. Emmett, uh, calm us down here, buddy. What's up? Oh, thanks for taking my call. Well, uh, just a personal note aside, I wanted to go back to memory lane and some good memories about Missoula in the 80s, but I am still grieving the loss of that home on 4th Street. You know, I did consider it my home, and I, it's really hit me personally hard, you know. But as far as good memories, you know, we used to have a beautiful radio station, since you're in radio business, that I just used to love in the 80s. was from the beginning of 85 to about... Oh, almost the end of 86. 
It was called Easy 102, K-U-E-Z-F-M Missoula. Do you that's remember right. it? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, the right. Music Missoula, <laughs> Easy relax. 102, playing your I favorite songs. There you go. Thank you. I loved that <laughs> station. I saw the advertisements for it on TV, and I thought, we're getting an easy listening station. And I was excited because... We didn't have one. The only one that I had known was KOZ FM in Lewiston, Idaho, and I missed that. So when it first came on, it was kind of nice. I was kind of chagrined. I did not know quite what to think of it. Whether it was, but then uh, around February, they really started because it started in January of 1985. They really started to pick up, and they had music from Neil Diamond and John Denver and beautiful instrumentals like of muskrat love and here there and everywhere i've got a lot on audio tape the best of kuez and even some of the you know comments and interviews by sheila callahan and you know the the announcements you know where the listening's right the music's right and the listening's easy i always used to do my homework or my chores while putting on kuez fm i just loved that station sadly <clears throat> round September 86, they started to change, if you'll remember. They kind of played some more modern music, kind of some more yuppified music, then um, an easy listening song. Finally, they just stopped playing easy listening altogether. I was really, really bummed because I was always calling the station, can we get the easy listening back? Can we please do it? But they wanted it to appeal to a demographic. So I'm really saddened about the loss of Easy 102. So, Emmett, we, there... we've got a way to soothe your soul. Peter yes. is going to sing Muskrat Love to you. <laughs> oh, on the air. Muskrat Susie, <laughs> Muskrat Sam. Yeah. Living you... together in Muskrat Land. How are you, you feeling, Emmett? <laughs> oh, much better. Yeah, okay. I could have that song on tape, Muskrat Love. I love it. It's one of okay. my favorite. I'm a huge Easy Listenings fan as well as punk rock, but I wish we could get an Easy Listening station back. Plus, I remember the traffic was a lot better. It was a lot better in the 80s. I mean, you could cross from my home on 4th Street down to go to the bus stop where I would go to Sentinel and easily walk back and forth. When I tried to see that old place, you know, on Monday or you know, Tuesday, now it's a Thursday, Thursday, I mean, I could barely get across the, because of the traffic. The traffic was terrible. I mean, it was just horrible the, what the traffic has become in Missoula. Do you, but do you, do you know what you need, Emmett? You need, uh, and you need, the Wayback Machine. Uh, we do. Remember, we definitely right? do. <laughs> you need the Wayback Machine. So, so you can step into the Wayback Machine, go back, you know, listen to your favorite tunes, jump back in, come back to your apartment, and, and maybe work on your garden. I think that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I often work on my garden while listening to that easy listening ironically i'm glad on cable on a spectrum they do have an easy listening stations a few easy listening stations but when in the 80s i used to be able to listen for free and not have to pay about 165 dollars a month it's going to jump up Emmett, you're killing me did I, yep. <laughs> yeah, I, muskrat love we just send yeah, it out to you so now do you remember who who did muskrat i have no idea it was i a, can't remember i never was, knew it was just it, a beautiful was, easy listening song it, it was america oh horse with no name yeah right muskrat it was love. a band called america yeah the, it, it was <laughs> you don't know who america is no i never Sis, heard of that Sis, it was a female singer sister golden sister golden hair and all that guy oh man Huh. Yeah, I never heard of I never heard of a band America. We'll have to look them up. I and do have look, it on. Look, look them up. We're gonna we're gonna just move slightly on to a, another topic in conversation. But 
thank you. Thank you for sharing. Your oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, forgive me. That was not that was not American. Not it was the captain and Tennille. Yeah, that's why he, he was right. Captain and Tennille. Thank you. you. All right. Yeah. And we got to run. I'll write it down. Thank you. Right, thanks. Thanks for the call. All right. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. Wow, we we are going far afield of of our noted topic for yes, this morning. Yes, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll try to pull this back yes, in a little bit. So, yes, we will. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, guys, we're we're still trying here. We're going to go to a break. One one minute to a break. Sure. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so so we are uh, fully planning to to bring you hopefully at least an hour yeah. of, uh, of of the Montana World Affairs Council yeah, on the is, radio. This is interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, we're going to be trying uh, trying to uh, hook up with the folks from Sharaka, uh, a group that means partnership in Arabic, about all about what's going on in the Middle East. A very, very serious topic and people trying to do good things. So we're going to come right back after this time out. Here we go. Hey, we are back on Talkback 721-1290. The wonder of modern technology. We, we, are, we are finally able to hook up with our guests. Okay, Bob, take it away. Uh, Dan, I want to welcome you to Missoula and your, and your group. Um, Dan, I'm going to anoint you kind of as initially the spokesperson just to introduce the various people that are going to be joining us today. And please give us, we tried to give a little bit of a primer uh, to the organization. So, Dan, first, welcome. And if you can introduce uh, maybe your fellow participants and tell us about the organization. Absolutely. So um, we're from a nonprofit based out in Israel, uh, Israel, Bahrain, and Morocco. And the nonprofit is called Sharaka. So Sharaka is a Arabic word that means co- uh, cooperation or partnership. And what we do is we work to build what we call a warm peace between Israel and the signatory countries of the Abraham Accords. And through that, we all work together to try to build a new atmosphere of dialogue and hopefully friendship and cooperation between Israel and the broader Arab and Muslim world to try to break through the taboos um, on speaking to Israel, the, the cultural, societal, uh, societal taboos on, on even daring to speak within Israeli, uh, sometimes even with Jews, and um, depending on which country we're speaking about. And so that's what we do. We do a lot of activities um, based uh, in the Middle East, um, where it's safe, of course, <laughs> the countries where it's safe to do so, and then around the world and around the United States to try to raise awareness that the, the paradigm for the Middle East should be one where it's normal for at least people, forget governments, for at least people to be able to talk to each other. Um, so so that, that's who we are as an NGO. That's what we do. And we're here in uh, the Pacific Northwest speaking, trying to build awareness, um, trying to uh, unpolarize American society on the whole Middle East issue a little bit. So, Dan, uh, first, I'm just going to give you a quick heads up. we got about four minutes before we have to go to a break. So what we're doing right now is just kind of setting the stage. The Abraham Accords, uh, we've had a number of discussions about that on air to educate the listening audience as to what it's about. But it's probably worthy of restating the Abraham Accords and its importance as that becomes kind of the channel for the continued conversation about exactly as you described. Right. So the the Abraham Accords, I mean, these were really fundamental things, uh, monumental things in the Middle East. Um, 
and what they, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you, said, you said you speak to it to your listeners, a lot of people in the United States are, are just really unaware of them or, or of their impact in the region. Um, so we're talking, of course, about the peace agreements signed between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Morocco, and, and also Sudan, although that unfortunately never went through due to their own political challenges. Um, but what it did was it opened for the first time a door um, a legal one and a societal one in those three countries, at least for now, um, to to be able to legally engage with Israelis, to be able to travel to Israel for the first time, and of course uh, to have Israelis uh, come to those countries. And, and beyond what it was supposed to do, what it did was it open it also opened the door for Jews internationally to feel much more welcome and safe and. Um, um, included in those societies. Now, uh, I'll mention Morocco and uh, Bahrain have uh, very old, small but old indigenous Jewish communities. And uh, the UAE has a small but growing expat Jewish community. Um, but especially in, in uh, the UAE, it was a community that went under the table. Uh, not because of the locals, by the way, but because especially in the Gulf, those are countries that have um, you know, uh, Arab and Muslim expats living there from, from literally all over the world. Uh, the Emiratis themselves are an incredibly tolerant uh, and welcoming people, um, but that doesn't mean that all the expats who arrive uh, uh, immediately are. Um, and so all of a sudden, the Jewish communities in those um, and visiting Jews could feel so much more safe. On top of that, what it started doing very cautiously, very slowly, is it opened the door for Arabs and Muslims around the world to have less societal backlash um, for daring to engage in this conversation, to think openly about the possibility of peace with Israel. It opened the door for other countries to start exploring that space and having back-channel talks with Israel about potential uh, normalization. Um, and right before the outbreak of the October 7th war, we were seeing very, very clear signs that Saudi Arabia, um, which is you know the most important uh, country in the Arab world, possibly the most important country in the Muslim world, um, was heading in this direction very clearly and wanted to normalize ties with Israel. So you know we're talking about something that began a process of unwinding the Arab-Israeli conflict, unwinding so many of the tensions and hostilities um, towards Israel in and around the, the broader Middle East, North Africa Asia, area. Um, and, you know, I, I dare say uh, a process that could have started ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. So, Dan, we're going to need to go to a yes, break here. Yes, we have exactly one minute. Yeah, so please stay with us because uh, there's a, a lot of questions I'm going to have off air to get us ready for the next segment here. And it just seems like the timing was... Uh, too well placed for the enemies of peace to for that to take place. So anyway, we're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. We will continue our conversation with Sharaka and Dan and his guests as well, who are all uh, waiting to visit with us here in Missoula, Montana. And thanks to the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio with Bob Seidenschwartz and all that they do. And so we have WorldQuest coming up 
in, in just a few in months. March. Yep. Yeah, in just a few months. Yep. Anyway, uh, we will be right back after the top of the hour news. Stay with us, um, and we'll all learn together in the 9 o'clock hour here on uh, on KGVO. Uh, news Talk 1290, KGVO AM 98.3 FM, and of course the KGVO app. We'll be back right after the top of the hour news. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back to Talkback, everyone. It is the Thursday, January 25th edition of Talkback. Special Montana World Affairs Council on the radio edition, by the way. And Talkback is brought to you by our sponsors, Y West Storage out of the Y on Two Smokes Way. Call for pricing and availability, 406-510-0590. We're at Y West. They're making room for you. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, residential and commercial cleaning with no job too big or small. 406-260-6617. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. Added uh, Palmer and West Broadway. No matter how cold it gets in Montana, they have everything to make sure your rig starts every time at Gomer's. Also brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where you can feel confident in Harrington Surgical Supply's discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome back to a special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Bob Seidenschwartz uh, guiding us this morning uh, here in the studio, and we have guests on the phone, Bob. Yeah, Dan, welcome back, and uh, I believe you have a, uh, one of your, um, your guests uh, that has just joined us, so if you would, please. Yeah, uh, did she call in? Did she uh, call into the show? Don't think no, so. No, she hasn't called into the show yeah. yet. But uh, okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm getting them to call into the show. I have a, um, a wonderful uh, crew of uh, like-minded people who are traveling around the United States with me. One of them is um, an Israeli Arab minority, um, and and she'll she'll share her story. Uh, but in case her English is a little less than clear, uh, as it is her fourth language, um, uh, English yes, English would be her fourth language. Um, she is from a minority minority community inside of Israel that are the indigenous Christians of uh, the area who uh, speak and pray in Aramaic, uh, you know, the ancient biblical language of Aramaic. And uh, although their day-to-day language is Arabic and they live within the Arab society in Israel, they live in Arab villages in Israel, and the outside world would call them Arabs. Um, with among themselves, they do not call themselves Arabs, and uh, this is a community that is growing um, in the sense that they are realizing their deeper identities and uh, become very, very integrated um, in the state of Israel. So it's, it's a fascinating story. So, Dan, as you talk about that, I don't know if people really understand how diverse Israel is as a country in terms of the people. It's representations of Christians, Jews, Arabs, and not just in Israel, but really throughout the Middle East. I, I, I may be, you know, off about this, but we tend to think about the Middle East as very monolithic here in the United States. And please tell me if that impression is incorrect on my part. Oh, it's, it's in the, the, I mean, it's incredibly uh, diverse uh, in Israel itself. I mean, first, you know, we like to say it's the only, uh, you know, Jewish state in the world, but it's actually only 75% Jewish. Um, 
so first, even among the Jewish population, it is incredibly ethnically diverse in that Jews um, had been scattered, Jewish diasporas had been scattered around the world, literally around the world, and and make up today, you know, when they came back to Israel, um, make up this rich tapestry uh, of languages, cultures, ethnicities. And although we don't talk about skin color in the Middle East, really, um, in Israel, nobody ever mentions skin color. It's not a, a parameter. The the foreigner visiting would say, oh, it's also very diverse as far as, um, you know, the, the way people look. Um, and people, people who are lighter skinned, people who are very dark skinned, uh, people who look uh, African, people who look Asiatic, um, and they're all Jews. Um, because that's the story of the Jewish people as we were scattered around the world and adopted the ethnicities and characteristics and cultures of, of the countries where where we lived. But in addition to the Jewish people, you have um, 20% of the country are uh, what you would call Arabs. But even among the Arab communities, there's a lot of diversity. So you have people who are uh, ethnically connected to uh, the people called the, the Palestinian Muslim Arabs. You have Christians um, who, as I said, um, are, are generally lumped into this term of Arabs, but they're actually, many of them are Aramean. You have Lebanese um, Christians who live in Israel and have Israeli citizenship. You have Bedouin, um, many of whom are, um, you know, Bedouin who kind of came from Egypt or from, from Saudi Arabia. Uh, you have uh, Central Asian um, or Caucasus Mountain Circassians. You have uh, Armenians. You have, and then of course, a lot of people who came from different parts of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, either in modern times or or hundreds of years ago, you have uh, African uh, migrant workers um, who migrated to Israel over the last uh, 20 years. And then, of course, you have many foreign workers who have been living in Israel for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, who speak Hebrew, who have kids in Israel who are from uh, the Philippines, who are from Nepal, who are from India, who are from Thailand. Um, and so it really is... Um, a very diverse country in that sense. Now, now, Jeff, uh, if, if you don't mind, or Dan, pardon me, uh, we, we do have a caller on the line that wants to, to ask you a question, and we'll have him state that question, and then we'll take a break, and you can answer when we return. Is that okay? All right. Let's get uh, Jeff Jeff on the line. You're on with Dan Pfefferman. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning, Dan. Uh, I had the privilege of traveling to both uh, Abu Dhabi and Kuwait, and one of the great surprises uh, was that in both locations I was looking for a Catholic church and I found not only a Catholic church but in both countries an immense cathedral that uh, I found out later served the uh, what we call third, card- third country nationals the folks who come into Kuwait and Abu Dhabi the UAE to, uh, to uh, work and, uh, and those are created by the government there in order to serve the people who serve them. So um, I was wondering, can you speak to uh, whether or not they do anything similar for the Jewish communities in any of those countries? And, uh, and I don't think you mentioned Kuwait yet and, uh, and uh, how they treat uh, the uh, Jewish community as well as Christian, because they treat the Christian community very well. Okay, we will come back and get that answer when we return. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Uh, Stay with us, by the way. Uh, We are expecting more calls from this group. 
from from Sharaka. And so hopefully we'll we'll get that straightened out. We have uh, lots more folks who want to join into this conversation. So we'll continue right after this. Dennis Bragg with the latest forecast from the Town Square Weather Center. We're going to see a slight chance of rain, snow, and some freezing rain today with foggy areas early, otherwise mostly cloudy with highs in the upper 30s. Clouds will persist through this evening, but then Friday brings some sun breaks and partly cloudy conditions, returning to mostly cloudy skies for the weekend. The most noticeable feature will be the warmer temperatures, with highs to 40 Friday rising into the mid-40s over the weekend and remaining mild into next week. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. The Montana World Affairs Council on the Radio Special Edition. Uh, right now, we're, we're speaking with uh, with Dan Pfefferman. Uh, he is the Director of Communications and Global Affairs at Sharaka. And we have Jeff's question to deal with. So, sure. so please, Jeff. I'm Jeff. Dan, take it away. Yeah, so, uh, you know, going back to the earlier uh, points, um, uh, the, the gentleman, the caller's question um, the, the United Arab, Arab Emirates and uh, Bahrain um, are incredibly open um, to to other religions. Uh, they have built large churches. Uh, I believe Hindu temples are being built. Uh, they're incredibly diverse due to their expat communities, and they want to be welcoming to tourists. They began a process of, of becoming more open and inclusive publicly towards uh, Jewish communities and Jewish visitors. Um, in the other Gulf countries, they, they are very welcoming and tolerant of other uh, religions, Christianity. Again, a lot of uh, Indian workers, so Hindu temples um, and things of that nature. In those countries, it is still not politically acceptable to be open to Israel. And, and um, by connection to that, um, Jews do have to keep their head down. There, there are um, very few Jews in the other Gulf countries. They are, you know... Uh, expat workers or military personnel, American military personnel, and they generally keep a low profile as Jews um, because, you know, there there has been a lot of pent-up uh, anger uh, due to years and years of misinformation and vilification um, about Israel in the broader Middle East, North Africa, South Asia region. Um, we're talking about countries that... Um, either used Israel as a boogeyman, um, you know, to offload from from political strife in their own uh, societies and countries. Um, a lot of misunderstanding, anger, and frustration over the uh, Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict, which which I always find fascinating and and kind of ironic because there's a thousand conflicts happening around the Middle East at any given time. And to be very honest, and not to sound, um, you know, not to sound callous, uh, what's happening in general right now is different. In general, between Israel and the Palestinians, pales in comparison to many of the other conflicts happening around the region. As far as, um, you know, again, not not talking about what's happening right now, but just in general, um, the death toll in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is 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 only a shade of what's happening in other Middle Eastern conflicts. The average Palestinian lives a much better life than do people in, in the other countries. But perhaps because Israel is the only Jewish country in the area, um, that it, it um, captures people's imagination in the worst kinds of ways. And as I said, for the longest time, um, the governments of the region, the, the um, extremist religious preachers of the region have always used this as a rallying cry um, to, to radicalize people or to divert from their own 
problems. Um, and then you have, um, on top of that, so these countries adopted kind of a, a you know, a media narrative, and these are all state-controlled medias, that never share the full story of what's happening, never tell, you know, never come and report from what's happening on the Israeli side of things, never show any good news, um, never never humanize um, or normalize Israel in any way. And so people for 75 years consumed only um, bad news um, about Israel, only related to the conflict. And add to that, um, you know, the, the work of social media and propaganda and, uh, and just the way people speak about an issue. And, um, and so you can ask uh, my friend when he... When he um, even the most educated people just have a really twisted um, understanding of Israel, the reality there, the way Israel treats its minorities, which I have to say, inside of Israel, uh, minorities are incredibly um, welcomed and, and included in society. There are mosques and churches everywhere throughout Israel, and people live uh, normal and free lives and are generally um, happy. To live in Israel. Now, Dan, uh, Dan we're, we're, we have about two minutes before we have to hit a break. Would you mind introducing the other guest that's on the line with us? Sure. No. Naveen, are you with us? Yes, yes. So, good Please morning, everyone. Good, good morning and welcome to Missoula. Thank, thank you. So, my name is Naveen. I am Israeli Christian Aramaic citizen. I live in the north of Israel, near the border with Lebanon, in a village called Jish. This village is uh, Arabs and the Christian uh, together. Uh, I grow, uh, grow up, and uh, they uh, we we were uh, idiocted that we are Arabs, Palestinians. Uh, the first step to 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 know that who we are is in in the home, and in my home it was uh, complicated. We hear very sad story about uh, the 1948 uh, when uh, the Israeli defense, uh, uh, defense forces asked our forefather to leave the uh, village because of the Hiram operation, and they, they promised them to come back after the situation is uh, down, and they never came. And in 1953, a scream court decision allow our forefather to come, but again the Israeli defense forces destroyed the home. So it was very easy to support Palestina, and it's the first thing that we uh, know about the Israel, and it didn't was uh, good. On the other hand, we just uh, also know that before we born, my dad was a police officer. And uh, he had an accident, and he become disabled. And he usually say, uh, "Thanks God that we are in Israel and not in Arabs, other Arabs country." So why that it was complicated? Who we are? Are you like Israel? We are in Israeli password, have Israeli password, Israeli ID. We have everything in Israel, but still have bad story that remind us not to live like Israel. And the same in our school. To study in Arab school, that means also just to support Palestine, be pro-Palestine, because the system that have in this school is Arab system, and the history is not the same history like the other schools. So we know all the history. After the 7th century, 
we didn't uh, know about Independence Day. We know about the Nakba. We didn't mm-hmm. know about our flags. We know about uh, uh, the Palestinian flag. Also, like a Christian, I didn't know my history. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything, and I didn't study my Bible just uh, in the church. So it was in our majority to support Palestine. It's more easy than to be involved in the country. Now, now I, I, I will bad. say, Naveen and Dan, we, uh, we're up against, this is Peter, we're up against a commercial break here that we take a, tra- a break about every 10 minutes. So we'll, we'll take a breath and we'll pause and we'll continue with this fascinating conversation with, uh, with Naveen and Dan. There were the group called Sharaka and we're talking about what's going on in the Middle East right now, specifically Israel and uh, the countries that surround them. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. This is Brandon. We are back on Talk Back, a special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio with us. Uh, right now, we have on the phone uh, from the Sharaka delegation, we have Dan Pfefferman, and also we have uh, Naveen Elias, who are both joining us on the phone from Seattle. So, Bob, please continue. Sorry, to ask both of you off air, giving us some of the background and stories about what you are experiencing, what you see. How, then, is the organization... Finding common ground. How are you able to break through the stereotypes, the political components of it, the social, so that people can start talking to each other? That That's the challenge, really. And so what we're trying to do is create a, a popular uh, movement. Uh, we're trying to we bring people to Israel physically. We try to connect with people, usually thought leaders or, or people who are influential in their societies. And we get them to come and see, see for themselves. Well, once you come to Israel and see for yourself, you know, I always say we, we have um, certainly a lot of problems in Israel and a lot of challenges. It's not not a perfect country by any means, but the, the gap between what people think it is and what it actually is is so vast that many, many people immediately realize this and, and change their minds and, and uh, become open. And so uh, we work a lot on that. We try to have uh, uh, different events in the countries where it's legal to do so, bringing together um, people around these various issues to explore, to learn, to ask questions. Uh, we're just trying to humanize because, again, once you know, uh, first of all, once you meet people for the first time, it's much harder to hate them. Um, and and once you know some of the history for the first time, like Naveen is saying, you know, once she grew up in Israel and once she learned her own history and the history of the country in which she lived, a lot of the hatreds or the fears uh, that she had, uh, you know, melted away. So, and this is a question for Naveen, and with what Dan's describing here, I would, um, my supposition is that even within your own family, Naveen, there were challenges of coming to terms with what you start to tell us. How has this changed relations within your own family, and has that spilled out into other connections that you have. Yeah, so yes, after I, I know my story and I become really understand who who are the people and the indigenous of this land, I just know that it's also my land and I should keep uh, this land. So I had the change, I become more involved. Uh, I become uh, like the uh, director of strategic partnership and coexist uh, between the Christian and uh, Jewish in Israel behind my minority. 
Uh, we open a pre-military youth movement. We help the youth like that mess to know our history and how much it's important, like a minority, because Israel is the best place for minorities and Christians. And they, I am sorry like that we, 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 we cannot have and know these things before. It's like everyone should uh, check and, uh, and try in, in themselves. So, um, uh, and also, like, I all feel that I must also to be in the UN, in the uh, IDF, in the army. And uh, I, I was 39 years old, and I think I will never uh, will be in the IDF. And uh, it was open doors for me. When I was 39 years old, I joined the IDF. It was a lot of doors open for me to, to, to be in reserve in this uh, IDF. And uh, I, w- I was very proud. And I, I just think that I will come back to home, to the village, and everyone will attack me. And just I see that, wow, Naveen, I hope that I can do like you. I think that everyone think like me. It's more difficult to share in, in the Arab places, Arab villages that. But inside, if you ask everyone, like, are you, like, if, if you have two countries, if you have Palestine and Israel, you will leave Israel and you will go and live in Palestine or other Arab country. 90% will say no. They will stay in Israel. And I think that it's like very important and we can see that like more than 70% uh, during this war support, support Israel. So, Not like before. So, question, we're going to have to go to a break here, so yes. I'll save this question from for when we return. All right, stay with us. Uh, th- this is a fascinating look at what's going on inside Israel right now. And, and uh, we deeply appreciate the folks from Sharaka who are joining us this morning. And uh, we're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number. We'll be on with these nice folks until 10 o'clock this morning. Hopefully, uh, you're gleaning as much as possible from this great conversation. We'll be right back after this. Thousand. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Snap out. Just get over it. We've all heard it. But if you're experiencing extreme stress, it's not just in your head. It can affect your entire body because toxic stress can hurt us physically without us even knowing it. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, if you're feeling the effects of stress, we can help. Text STRESS to 211211 to find a solution. We are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, 1-800-568-5309. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio with the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. And uh, joining us uh, from Seattle right now, Dan Pfefferman is Director of Communications and Global Affairs at Shawaka. And also joining us is Naveen Elias. So let's continue. Well, Peter, you're going to just ask, or I'll, yes. I'll just ask, Dan, where can people that are listening get more information about your organization? Um, wh- how do they source that? Sure, sure. Um, and I've, I have the pleasure since you received that bio, actually. I'm the executive director of the organization. Um, but people can go to our website, sharakango.com is the website. And then, of course, on social media, where our handle is at sharakango. Thank you. Uh, so I'm posing this question to both of you. We have often had conversations about how youth-oriented the Middle East is in terms of their population. So... Do you see a change that is starting to take place as you're having conversations with numbers of different people across the region, 
Help us get some insight as to what, if anything, that you're starting to see change. Because there's a differentiation that you've kind of alluded to between governmental policy for very specific reasons, but then there's the populace. And we don't always get the full story about who's speaking for whom that's accurate. Right. So, um, you know, of course, the, the region is very young. And we have something that we didn't have, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and that's social media. Um, and so social media is a tool that goes both ways. Uh, it, it works, you know, people can use it for, for good and for bad to, to polarize and, and, and uh, propagandize. Um, but it's also an open medium. And so for the first time, you do have people literally all around the region, uh, younger people, who do see and have an ability to connect with uh, Israel, Israelis, or content that's just not what their governments and societies want them to see. Um, and, and so while people are very polarized and while the anti-Israel, Islamist, uh, uh, pro-Hamas propaganda is very strong online, and, and people are bombarded with it, um, whether real things that are amplified well beyond their scope or fake things that are created just to, to demonize and vilify and polarize, uh, uh, the, the non-discerning social media consumer um, is just bombarded by this uh, constantly. Uh, and they certainly you know, don't see the good things that are happening or good see, see the human side of things or see, um, you know, a lot of people aren't, aren't aware or don't want to believe for example, in this conflict, that Israel was brutally attacked on October 7th, and this is a response uh, to that. Um, and, and so these are some of the challenges that we're dealing with right now, um, but the, the very medium of, uh, of social media has at least opened a door uh, because their, their television media, their official media, is not showing. It's, it's very one-sided in this issue. And, and that's one of the, I would assume, one of the objectives of the organization is to counter this with person-to-person -person contact and, of course, exactly. the use of social media. Now, we have, a, we have another individual, I believe it might be part of your group, Hiram. Is that, uh, are we expecting someone of that name? We don't have a Hiram. We have an Ahmed who should be calling in soon. Okay, that well, might, that let's might, get that Hiram might, on the phone and see what might the, be Ahmed. Yeah. Ahmed, good morning. Uh, you're on Talkback with our guests from Sharaka. Good morning, sir. Good morning. All right, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Please, uh, 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 Dan, take it away. Oh, actually, this is not Ahmed. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Not, not somebody from our organization. Oh, I'm sorry. Good morning. What is your name, sir? Uh, that's me. I'm Ahmed, actually. You are Ahmed. Okay. <laughs> Ahmed, I, Ahmed, I want you to meet Dan. Dan, this is Ahmed. Hi, Dan. All right, I love it. Uh, so, uh, please, this is your opportunity to give a little background on yourself and tell your story to us. Of course. First of all, thank you for having us. It's a lovely city, lovely country, and amazing people, of course. So my name is Ahmed Kuzai. I'm a political consultant, and I had the pleasure of uh, joining Sharaka uh, ever since the establishment uh, to be the political director. Now, the whole thing started for one reason and one reason only. Now, as you all know, Israel has been in the Middle East for the past 75 years. Yet, uh, for us, it has never been there. We were forbidden from traveling there, talking to the Israelis, and vice versa, by law. Uh, three years ago, here in Washington, D.C., my country, Bahrain, signed a normalization agreement with the State of Israel, which allowed us to interact for the first time in history. And through friends, I got to meet Dan Pfefferman here, 
uh, who was just the director of Shurakan. Today he became one of my best friends of my family as well. Now, uh, I got the opportunity through Dan to visit Israel. As a researcher myself, I wanted to see what is it like on the other side. I couldn't write a piece about Israel, about the Jews, about the Israelis, without understanding who they are and what they do. As I said, we were in isolation for a long time. And that gave me the opportunity to travel to Israel for the first time around three years ago. And I always considered myself well-traveled, well-versed, with lots of contacts, lots of Jewish friends. But I'm telling you now, I knew nothing about it. So I land at Gregorian Airport and I give this man, and I'm talking about Dan Fefferman, a really hard time. You ask me how, by the time I step out of the um the airport, the first thing I noticed was the street signs. And uh, he was like, yeah, we do have street signs here, <laughs> which made me laugh. I was like, no, I'm not talking about the signs. I'm talking about the fact that they are trilingual. It's mm. English, Hebrew, and then Arabic. Sorry, uh, it's Hebrew, Arabic, and then English. So Arabic is a recognized language in Israel. And uh, that was a big surprise to me. Walking down the streets, getting to meet people, I see that 20% of the population in Israel are Arabs, um, and they live uh, side by side. I'm not saying that they don't have their issues. They do, just like any other community. But the fact that they live there debunked big lies about what we've been hearing before, that they uh, they are being killed, mistreated, and maybe even exiled. But they were there. Again, they have their issues. But they're still there. And that was the start of the journey. So, Ahmed, uh, we're going to be going to a break here in about two minutes. So if we have to stop, we will continue the conversation with you. For me, it's very important to have you tell us, when you go back to Bahrain and you've had this experience, and now you're talking to colleagues, family, and, and people in the community, what did you describe and how did you share your impressions and what were the responses from the people that probably for the first time are hearing from somebody that they know that has had the experience of going to Israel? So please start to tell us that story. I'll tell you what, Ahmed, if you don't mind, uh, I want to give you plenty of time to do that. I don't want to cut you off. We're about 30 seconds away from a commercial break. So we'll do that. Mm -hmm. Come right back and uh, continue this great conversation. This is awesome. And so we're we're going to come. It's worth the wait, let me tell you. Yes. We're coming right back after this timeout. Visit. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your social security number or other personal information and tell you that your social security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General. 
at oig.ssa.gov. You'll have to start the story with me. Okay, here we go. We are back, and uh, we were talking with Dan and Ahmed and Naveen uh, from Shakara. Uh, Sharaka, pardon me, and we are just getting into the the story of of how Ahmed uh, had a chance to visit with his folks back home about coming to Israel. So go ahead. Yeah, Ahmed, please continue uh, with what you were sharing with us uh, during the break. Yeah, well, basically, by the time I reached home, it was not as easy as I thought it would be. Um, I have my platforms. I am a writer. I'm, uh, a columnist as well. I appear on local TV between now and then. But to talk about this taboo issue was a huge deal. Almost everybody tried to boycott me, uh, discredited me. And uh, beside my immediate family, that was the case. But uh, it started like that. It was just two people who did. It was me and Fatima here, who's uh, handling or heading the Bahrain office. And within a year, people started changing their minds. We started talking facts, showing uh, photos of how it's like there, uh, how people are treating each other. Again, it's not a utopia, but what country is. Yet, once you speak reality, people will get into it. It takes time, but it will happen. So, Ahmed, was there political pushback? When you're describing this, we said earlier that you've got different uh, components here. The political entities, the governments may have different agendas for reasons that, by all means, please elaborate. But did you see acceptance or pushback against the political authorities against what you're describing here? Yeah, well, the state, and I'm talking about my country uh, as a government, uh, went into the uh, Abraham Accords and signed on behalf of the country. Uh, as a young democracy in the Middle East, uh, we have our own parliament and people can uh, speak their minds. Uh, many, uh, many people thought that this is the wrong move and started demonstrating on the streets and started voicing their concerns. But that's acceptable back home. And uh, the government is listening to them, but they decided to go with it no matter what. It's in the, uh, in the benefit of the country, and they are not backing down now. So here, here's a question I pose to all three of you. One of my premises has always been, until there is meaningful economic opportunity for people, regardless of what country, the mm. ability to influence people negatively towards others has greater weight to it, greater uh, ability to do so. I've always maintained that Israel, with what it has done in its own country, its economic, its technology, its water, its agriculture, really is desperately needed by other countries in the region. And the basis of this relationship with the Abraham Accords, I think, is also very much based on economic cooperation. And I have to believe the Saudis and Israel in discussions understand this at the very highest of levels. Please give me your thoughts and comments on that. Of course. Uh, there is no peace without prosperity. Um, we have to agree to the fact that no matter how much disagreements we have, we all need each other in the Middle East. And here, even I'm talking even about Iran, no matter how, issue, how big of an issue we have with them, we still need each other. Uh, when it comes to the uh, Israelis, for example, and the agreement through the Abraham Accords, the uh, economy plays a big part of the accords. Um, it's uh, almost 
up to 80% of what it is. Uh, Emirates, for example, started on a really humble beginnings with Israel on the first year with nothing more than, I think, between 20 as a start and then $300 million in bilateral trade. Today, we're talking about more than $5 billion. Mm. So it is a major deal. You see the uh, travel uh, between both countries uh, is increasing. And since you mentioned Saudi, Saudi is uh, the most important country in the Middle East from the Arab and Muslim side. And uh, they won't engage without seeing benefit into it. I mean, there's a big risk for them just to engage in it without any benefits. Hence, the economic part is a major one. Right. So when we're just to kind of jump a little bit to what are your experiences with the conversation that we're having right now? What kind of feedback and conversations are you having here in the U.S.? And what are some of the impressions of our own viewpoints and biases that you're gently helping us understand may be very wrong? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, well, basically. Yeah, okay, thank you. Well, uh, basically, uh, part of our programs is to have U.S. tours regularly. It's either every month or every other month. We do visit faculties uh, between university clubs. We're talking about minorities, uh, communities, uh, community leaders, civic leaders, officials, uh, elected officials. So... We're trying to get to uh, all, the, all the segments, mainly. Um, the, uh, what I've noticed, basically, is that not as many people as I expected would know what the Abraham Accords are, and the other would be the importance. Many people don't see it that important for, to them. And when we explain it, that, for example, today, with the Houthis disrupting shipping lines mm-hmm. in the Middle East, that increases the prices here in the West. Right. Why? Because more uh, on the fuel, more uh, money is spent on insurance policies and so forth. That increases the prices. That's one. Second, oil prices. Uh, last year when we came, it was just during the big hike of the oil prices that people are using for for the cars and others. And when I asked, do you like those hikes? <laughs> and they, everybody said no. But how is that related? I said, oil comes from the Middle East. Any problem in the Middle East, the price would go up here. If you don't like it, you have to understand what we're doing and the benefit we're trying to do for us and for you here as well. So the conflicts in the Middle East, the more they are, the more it basically gives people in the West a harder time. And the more they are less, the more everybody lives happily ever after around the world. Right. That is a perfect place to take our, our final break. We, it's, it's, it's just a 60-second timeout, one minute. We're going to come right back. Then we'll have about 10 minutes to wrap things up with our, our guests uh, from Shiraka. This has been a great conversation. I wish it could have been two hours, but an hour is good. So we're, we're going to come right back uh, after this one-minute timeout. We are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. We have exactly eight minutes left in our time together uh, with uh, the folks from Sharaka. And Harry is on the line with a quick question. Harry, quickly, what is your question for our guests? Yeah, first of all, I just want to congrats, congratulate these people on their efforts. But I'm just wondering, after the uh, you know fighting is done in Gaza, what should happen to the Gaza Strip and to the Palestinian people therein? All right. Thanks for the call, Harry. Gentlemen and lady, if you uh, have a comment on that, go ahead, please. Yeah, th- thanks for the easy question, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, 
Look, it's it's incredibly tough right now. The uh, what I'll say I'll say quickly is, of course, not easy to do, but it is the only thing that is is possible and the right thing to do. Um, Hamas need Hamas as a terrorist organization needs to be dismantled, uh, disarmed, and cannot have the uh, ability to threaten Israel again. And, and by the way, it terrorizes its own people daily. Um, <clears throat> so so that's. You know, once that is done, uh, this conflict is over. Uh, secondly, there's still 140 Israeli hostages uh, kidnapped from their homes on October 7th who are still being held in uh, the Hamas tunnels um, that crisscross underneath the Gaza Strip. So, so this, this war, this immediate war will be over the second that uh, the Hamas uh, disarms and um, uh, is, from a military perspective, is dismantled. And the hostages are returned safely home. From then on, uh, you know, Ahmed and I have uh, been discussing um, uh, what reconstruction and de-radicalization needs to look like uh, in Gaza. Israel left. Israel left Gaza in 2005. Israel does not want to control Gaza. There, uh, prior to to this current round of fighting, there was not a single soldier inside the Gaza Strip. Um, and, and, and I can tell you from an Israeli perspective, we uh, very much seek out to have a stable and peaceful neighbor, um, whether it's in Gaza or whether it's uh, around the Palestinian cities of the West Bank. And um, once we have stability, once we have moderation, once we have any kind of sign that our neighbors want to live alongside of us rather than instead of us, um, then, then we will be able to have a peaceful, stable reality in the Middle East. So I've got to, um, w- several weeks ago, we had a guest on, Joseph Brock. He's out of Brooklyn, New York. I don't know if that name has any uh, recognition for you. He spoke because he's gone into Gaza and interviewed at risk to the people he's interviewing as well as himself to get their viewpoints on what they think about Hamas. And one of the takeaways from that conversation was when all is said and done, how do you de-radicalize a population that has been continually uh, conditioned to a certain view and, and, and thinking? So uh, how, how do we do that? Because we could say it, but the actual work has got to be so difficult to yeah, do. On the ground, yeah. Sure. Maybe I can throw that one over to Ahmed. <laughs> um, <laughs> no worries. Um, well, it's not an easy uh, task to do. We're talking about um, years and years of indoctrination, of mixing politics with religion. That makes it much easier for them to adapt it, especially if they live in a very, very tough situation. It would be much easier for them to think about going to heaven rather than staying here. So uh, it would start with education. And then it will start with how they see uh, each other, how they live their lives, once they have prosperity. And that takes us back to the point that Dan mentioned earlier. The uh, disarm and then radicalization of the whole population won't be something that happens overnight. It will take at least between 20 to 50 years. So that would require the friends of both countries to intervene. And here I'm talking about us, the Arabs. Right. either in the Gulf, North Africa, the Levant, uh, we'll have to step in. Uh, when Hamas is gone, there'll be a vacuum. So somebody have to decide who's going to be the next leader, how the schools will be built, how the aid is used 
in order for all of that to happen and form a beautiful picture for the future of the Palestinians. And this has to have, from outside of the immediate area, the influence I would pose as who, I think goes right to the question of the Saudi relationship and the Israeli relationship going forward. You mentioned the largest, most influential uh, on many different fronts. So for the moment, this may be off the table, but I still have to believe behind the scenes, very quietly, discussions are still continuing. Yes, they are, actually. And uh, that was said so by the uh, Saudi foreign ministry uh, almost two weeks ago that the 7th of October attacks did not stop the negotiations between the Saudis and the Israelis as it was intended, but it may take longer than expected mm -hmm. now since the signing between Saudi and Israel was supposed to end this conflict. And that's exactly why the October 7th attacks happened, because once the conflict is solved, Iran and Hamas will be irrelevant. Right. So, gentlemen, we have about three minutes left. Um, again, thank you so very much to all three of you for joining us here today. And you will be welcome back, and we will get this down <laughs> to a T going forward. But what mm -hmm. do you want to tell people listening in Missoula and in Montana today that uh, relates to your work? By the way, uh, this is streamed all over the world. So uh, it's not just in Missoula, Montana. It's all over. Thank so you, please go ahead. Wonderful. Um, what I would want people in Missoula and people all over the world to know is that uh, peace is possible, but it needs people to encourage moderation to uh, create a safe space for those who want to think in a nuanced manner, those who want to reach out and explore um, this whole cancel culture of anybody who, who disagrees with you um, it needs to stop across the board. Um, and we need to focus on the, the positive things that are happening in the Middle East and how do we encourage those instead of uh, vilifying or demonizing one side or the other. Ahmed, your thoughts, comments? Nuveen, if you're still with us, any thoughts on that? Yes. Yes, so I also want to share, like, uh, also one that have uh, behind every border uh, family, and uh, I uh, just become, become the last few years very, uh, like, uh, with uh, partnership with them and uh, meet them after the Abraham Accord. Uh, and I feel that the people become more want to listening and want more to bo to know about us and to hear about us. And I feel that everyone missed the peace. And the peace is like good for all the, the, the countries in the Middle East. And uh, they are very excited and proud for us that we are in Israel and uh, they, they cannot wait to have peace. And the people in, the, in Lebanon also, I can say, and in Gaza and in the West Bank, they want the war to end. Uh, in Lebanon, they don't want to have a war. Uh, with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is not the government. He will lead the Lebanon in, uh, under like very bad situation uh, and they cannot uh, like, uh, you know, like to still alive in this situation. If be, before the war they missed the medicine, they missed electric, they missed water, what will happen? 
I think that will not stay Lebanon more. So All right. uh, also, and yeah, we, also, and, and, and I'm just going to say we are completely out of time. I want to say thank you to uh, to Ahmed, to Devin, to Dan, and everyone at Sharaka. We appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing that with the, with our audience here in Missoula, Montana. Thanks so much thank for you. having us. All right, thank you. Thank I, you. Bob, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Always, it's always a pleasure. Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? Uh, open phones. Whoop, so go ahead, sorry. Open phones 8 to 9, and then we'll have City Talk from 9 to 10. We're going to talk with our new City Council President and outgoing City Council President. All right, listen, have a great day out there. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 with Ace on Montana Morning.